welcome to Small Steps Living, the The podcast. podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Cordaff, bringing you inspiring stories to help you transform your life one small step at a time. Here at Small Steps Living, we're keeping it real. Kick back and And enjoy enjoy the show. show. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the podcast. And I've got someone here today who... I've gotten to know in small steps, but I've also been stalking her a little bit online because she has her own blog and Facebook page and she does lots of videos. So I'm really excited to be talking to her in real life. Feel like I know you, Claire. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Lisa. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, today we're going to be talking about quite a few things. When when I ask, um, when I've asked you small steppers to share your story, I get a bit of a background and there are a few things that stood out from your story that I think would be really great to talk about. So guys, we're going to be touching on things like growing up as a fussy eater yourself. Uh-huh. I think that was really, really interesting and definitely would love to chat to you a bit more about um, the issues that are the fertility issues that you had and finding out um, that you had um, PCOS. And then mm-hmm. I thought that also the part about um, food shaming was really interesting, how family and friends react when we when we decide to go down a path that's a bit different to the norm. And then and then I think we're definitely going to have to talk about no quick fixes and what it's like following experts when you're trying to learn about all of this stuff. So, look, clearly it's just going to be a five or six-minute chat. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so can we just start off? Can you just share a little bit about your food journey growing up? I loved hearing about that. All right. Well, started off, apparently I ate absolutely everything and my mum was amazing. She like cooked us liver and brains and I don't know where she did all her research because back then there probably wasn't all the information there is now, but yeah, she fed us absolutely everything and I ate it all until I was two. Round about two, she said, I just shut my mouth and refused to eat anything other than it was chicken, carrot, cabbage, potato, white bread, sausages, and that was about it. And my poor mother, she said she stressed and stressed and stressed and then eventually she just, oh, an apple. She just gave up and fed me what I would eat. Um, And mum's an amazing cook, so I actually missed out on a lot of food. And my sister ate everything, anything and everything. She's younger sister. But, yeah, I continued on that for probably till I was about 17, I'm embarrassed to say. I did introduce a few little things, but it was a pretty standard diet for most of my growing up. As a mother, I'm just in my head, I'm like, you little shit. <laughs> I hate myself. And now when my three-year-old, he's a little bit fussy, I just think, Mum just laughed. She's like, it's karma coming back to bite you. (laughs) But what was going on for you? Like, why didn't you experiment with food or eat different foods? What was it? I really don't know. I think that I had some textural issues. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think that was really a thing back then, but I like sloppy foods and stuff like that I wouldn't eat. And visual stuff, like, I'm talking ridiculously fussy. Like, if my chicken breast, I'd only eat chicken breast, if it had like the littlest black bit on it, I'd cut that off. It was like 
yeah, I feel so sorry for my poor mother. Um, it was extreme. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was like looking back, maybe it was like some sort of food anxiety or something. But but that is know. a long time to have it. Yeah. That is. Yeah. Like, you know, that's your whole childhood. I know. But at least the food, I mean, the, at least you did eat some proper food. Yeah. I did eat quite a few vegetables. I think there were a few more on there. And, you know, mum, no, mum, that's not right. I did have milkshakes, which mum made, and she'd put raw egg in it, which we didn't know about until a lot later, and almond meal. So <laughs> she was pretty good at Bless sneaking her. stuff in. Mm. She, I need to do an interview with her about fussy eaters. Imagine. She'd love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then tell me, okay, so what happened in 2010 then? What changed for you okay. in 2010 with so, food? So 2010, my now husband and I went to Europe for five weeks and travelling around and obviously um, so we went to France, Italy and Spain and translation and the food there, it was tricky for me to get my uh, – stock standard food so I started trying a few things um and surprise surprise food was actually nice (laughs) um and I was in this one place in Italy Cortona where apparently they have the best bruschetta in the world that's their claim and it was amazing so from then I started eating a bit more food and then I came back from five weeks Europe um with a few extra kilos yeah. Um, and that was right about when Michelle Bridges came out with her 12-week challenge. So I did that and having the recipes in front of me and like prescribed what you had to eat sort of made me try more foods. So mm-hmm. I wasn't having to look for the recipes and say, oh, no, I don't like that, I don't like that. I just did what she told and that like I that's not my thing now but that doing that just opened up a whole new world of food for me and it sort of all started from then. That's amazing. I mean, it's amazing that mm. you would have such a limited palate and yeah. then you would just go, wow, no, actually food is quite awesome. And, you know, the end of this story is now, as I said, you know, you've got your own Whole Foods blog and yeah. you're like, your kids <laughs> are eating a, a wider range of foods than you had by the time you were 20 by the time. Yeah, pretty much <laughs> um but but then there was another part of your story that kind of forced you further down into the world of of food and and that was with your um when you were trying to have a baby so talk to us a little yes. bit about where you were at at that stage with I guess I mean because a lot of people talk about going the natural route yeah. for things but not perhaps understanding what that what that means and how hardcore it has to be and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So first of all, tell us what it was like struggling to have a baby and how confusing that was and oh. then when it led to your diagnosis, how that made yeah. you feel. I'd been taking the pill for nine, ten years as a lot of people yeah. did. Um, yeah. There wasn't all the information there is now. So I stopped taking it, I think it was in about the May of, oh, God, whatever year it was, um, and I didn't get a period for nearly six months. Mm-hmm. And then when I did, it was sort of you know, all over the shop. My skin was terrible. 
it was awful. We weren't getting pregnant, obviously, because you can't if you're not having cycles. Um, and I was talking to a friend on the beach over Christmas that year. So I'd been about seven months. And I just, she had just graduated from medicine, I think. And I mentioned it to her and she goes, oh, maybe you've got polycystic ovaries. I'm like, sorry, what? Um, so went to the doctor as soon as I got back from holidays and did all of the blood tests and everything and said, yeah, turns out you do. And I was devastated to start with because I didn't know what it was. Mm. Um, it's just not talked, well, it's talked about a lot more now, but back then it just wasn't, you know that people have polycystic ovaries and they can't get pregnant, but you didn't, nobody really knew what that meant. Mm. Um, so went to a fertility specialist and the doctor said, no, you're within the healthy weight range, which is the biggest that's the first thing they tell you to do is lose weight. It was in the, in the healthy weight range. There was nothing really specific that they could fix. The only solution was taking, um, what's it called, Clomid to try and oh, yeah. give me Kick cycles again. the, yeah. Yeah, which I um, had in my head that the pill was what started it all, so I didn't want to take another pill to try and fix what the other pill had uh, caused. Um, so I started looking more into alternatives um, and the fertility doctor was actually really supportive. He said, look, quite, he said to me, you're not going to get, he basically said, you're not going to get pregnant unless you take this. Wow. All right. I'm going to, what else can you do for me? And he said, well, I can do, I can order you blood tests so you can see when you're ovulating. Um, so we went with that. So I went home and just started researching. Um, and found I found one website that so there was barely any information about natural stuff. It was everything telling you about all the medications. Um, one website where the girl talked about estrogen overload mm-hmm. and polycystic ovaries mm-hmm. um, and related it to food and plastic and you no know, all your beauty, everything. And I did exactly the opposite of what you recommend, which is not what I would recommend to people, and completely overhauled everything. Like I got a garbage bag. It was like those ads. <laughs> got rid of everything in the house and started again and went from there <laughs> on a bit about it. Um, no, it's interesting because people get stumped at this point and it's also, I mean, now... I've interviewed Nat Kringudis many times. I love Nat. She's one of the people who I started following as part of this. Yeah. Who, and yeah. when when people hear about um, and I've got her the women's health series on the on my website um so people can buy it and it's five different interviews and we cover so much stuff and yeah, that was you, awesome I watched those. Yeah. Well you can literally see light bulbs going off for me. <laughs> I can't really mm. hide what I'm feeling or you can just see it. And when you start to learn about hormones and how important that they are in our body and each one regulates different things and has kickoff effects for others, then all you think about is, okay, well, what can I do so that these can operate in a normal way? Because as she says, it's not 
often, you know, like with weight, how it's not, it's a symptom of something else. And hormones being off or, or not getting a period is a symptom of something that's not right. And you just have to do a little bit of, of digging. And the way that our estrogen can be impacted by things in our everyday environment. And you and me, we're the same vintage. Like we just, I go, I go to my parents' house and they still you know, have those air fresheners in the toilet and uh, all sorts of things that now there's so many of us waking up to the fact that that has, that is messing with stuff inside us that we could never have known without people like Nat and obviously, you know, the websites that you were looking at. And Alex Stewart is a great one too for the low-tox stuff. Yeah. Um, because if we don't have them right, then other things just don't work. But did, yeah. it, did it surprise you what you were finding out? Were you a bit shocked, horrified? Like what were the emotions and feelings that, hang on, yeah. I can't have a baby because what? Yeah, horrified and angry I was to start with. And I still am angry about all of this. That's so... So much of it is not brushed under the carpet but put in front of people. And, you know, if you don't go and do research, you see that something's, yep, this is the way to go, well, you accept that. Mm. And unless you actually question somebody, you don't find all this other stuff that, no, that's actually not the right way to go and that actually is doing you more damage than good. Like it just does my head in like the supermarkets and medical things that there are so many medical professionals that are still so narrow-minded oh. in their thinking um it it just makes me <laughs> really angry um yeah so coming back to your question when I first started reading all of that yeah I think anger was probably the first thing and really overwhelmed I think looking back I probably got seriously anxious about it all like mm. a little bit obsessive because you no know, I read that non-organic chicken has seriously high estrogen in it like I don't take my word for any of this but no the hormones in chicken are worse than other things and so somebody would serve me chicken or I'd go somewhere and I'd get a bit panicky about eating that like so it was really hard to get around you know, come back. I've probably only just coming back to not normal, but that, but without like, oh my goodness, I can't eat this. This is this might have some nasty thing in it. Yeah. Oh, look. Yeah. Mm. I think we definitely need to. So we can definitely talk about that because I think that anxiety is real. And you did mention also about your son at birthday parties, and it's and it's you know yeah, when you watch yeah. it, when you have these beautiful kids and you're trying the best for them, and then they're just going and they're eating all the things. And yeah. that can be really hard. But tell me, so uh, uh, how long did it take for you? What do, So going down the, the natural route, focusing on estrogen, was there anything else that you did in order to get your body into a state where you fell pregnant? And how long yeah. was the time that it took? Yeah. So that was the January I was diagnosed. Um, and then at the end, so one of the other things I'd read, which I probably should have mentioned earlier, was that acupuncture and Chinese medicine, traditional Chinese medicine, had um, been amazing results because I discovered Nat Kringudis 
Um, and obviously I'm not in Melbourne, so I couldn't see her. But through my amazing chiropractor, I found some people that were actually just up the road from me. Like I could walk a block away um, and saw this lady. She was amazing. Um, so I started having acupuncture and taking Chinese medicine, which tastes like dirty water that's been through disgusting journey. It was awful. I had to have that morning and night. Um, but she got my cycle regular in a couple of weeks. So I literally had her success rate after three months is something like 97%. Get out of town. She said she even had like she has a lot of patients who are doctors because they've tried the medical route and haven't been successful and they come to her. So I was pregnant within three months of starting with her. That's just, I mean, what? I mm. And I think so many people see the natural route as risky. Yes. And also, and this is what I loved about what, what you said as well, is that there's no quick fixes. And I think so many of us are just like, quick, where's the pill? Or quick, where's the this? Or even when it comes to transitioning our diets, like, let's just do it all. I'll just do whatever you say. Like, just let's, let's just do this properly. Yeah. Or when it comes to any type of healing or any type of lifestyle change, we have to be prepared for it to take time. Mm. Yeah, and it's sort of conditioning because we're brought up, you know, that I'm going to (laughs) go, I don't want to go on a tangent. Tangent away. The medical side of things has a lot more money than the other things. So that's Mm. what we hear, of course, Mm. more Mm. than anything else. So we're sort of led to believe that that's the way to go and the other things, the other options are, yeah, no, yeah, it might work, whatever, but some things might actually work a lot better than the medical option. I know my husband had a bit of a hard time getting on board with the option, so I had to give him a deadline for when I would try the next medical step if yeah, the acupuncture right. and all the other things didn't change. Luckily, I didn't have to um, to give in to that. Well, you know, I Nick is really open-minded, but I struggle with that yep. too. And yep. I've never shared this before, but... Um, our youngest daughter, when she started walking, her left foot was really turned out and she would drag it. She sort of, it looked like she was a little bit disabled in her, in her foot when she was walking. And I kept on thinking, oh, you know, she's just, you know, when the everyone's uncoordinated, but then it was really kind of at about, it was a, probably about 14 months. And I was like, this just isn't right. She's just, this is actually getting worse. And I took her to the GP and she said, look, Lisa, she is going to need surgery to to turn that around. And I was devastated. And she said, but they're not even going to look at her until she's 18 months. And I thought, what? I don't want them to break her little leg. And yeah. this is awful. So I went straight to my chiropractor. And within maybe four weeks of going each week, foot was turned around. And we probably did weekly for two months and now she's got a perfectly normal foot and leg. And it was all just um, in her left and was probably from when she was born um, and she was just tight all up her left side. And so what it was, what he was just doing, he wasn't even touching her foot, it was just loosening up 
all the side of her body so the muscles could perform in the way that they were meant to. And I was like, if I didn't have him as an option, and I was so anti-chiropractors, I saw two in Sydney that promised me they'd turn my babies and they didn't, and I was like, chiropractors suck, I don't believe you, bloody whatever. And then I, I was so desperate in Brisbane, I found another one when I was pregnant with my third, and he's like... He's changed our family's health in so many ways. Yeah. And but I still Nick I still find it hard to convince Nick that it's money well spent for our family. And I, I just yeah. I, and I'm always like what what you saw what happened with her foot. We would have you know imagine I was I didn't have that and I didn't look for anything else and then our 18 month old was having surgery on a leg that was perfectly fine. Yeah. I know it, it. It's terrifying. And if you'd gone ahead and gotten the surgery, you wouldn't have been doing the wrong thing no. because you're following what you, who you think is an expert. That's and right. That's what's so scary. Yeah, but you do have to find a good chiropractor. I've been through a few rubbish ones, but yeah. my chiropractor is amazing. I totally agree. Um, you do need, but it's also I find that with GPs too, there's some fantastic yes, exactly. GPs, and I don't want. And also, I just want to say flat out, I do not. I'm not saying one is better than the other, or no. um, that I went down the right way. Like absolutely not. And some people absolutely need the surgery. I'm just saying, I got a second opinion. It was a lot less harmful, and I'm glad I did that extra bit of digging. I'm just exactly. glad. And so that's it. I'm just a big disclaimer. And the listening listening to your gut, I think, is the big thing. But, yeah, you went, the surgery just, yeah, didn't sit right with you with an 18-month-old. Well, that's exactly right. Okay, so tell me what it's been like for you. Obviously, your mum's pretty pretty good cook. Like, mm-hmm. sounds like she fed you food that wasn't real. But what have you uncovered through your journey about like what's the most important things for you to do with food that you've kind of uncovered bit by bit? What's your food philosophy these days? Um, I guess my food philosophy would probably be, um, what do I say on my website? Whole foods made from scratch basically, but easily. And I say a lot that I'm lazy, but in a good way, as in, like, if there's an easy way to do something, I'm going to find it. And, yeah, I have two little boys. I don't have a lot of spare time, but that's important to me is making things with real ingredients and, yeah, staying away from packet stuff and all of that. But, yeah, in an easy way, not making it. Because so many people think that, you know, if you make things from scratch, it takes so much time and it's so difficult. But once you start doing it, it's just, not hard yeah and sourcing the best ingredients possible which is always a work in progress oh I loved when I interviewed Jude one mm-hmm. Jude Bloreau once and she's like you know this is a process and it takes it can take two years it can take five years it can take as long as you want it to sort of switch things around and a lot of it does come down to the sourcing of the things that you need yeah it's not an overnight thing unless you've got nothing else to do with your life yeah and can focus every minute on which let's face it uh, I don't know I don't have that time but how did people around you react to your to the changes that you were making 
Um, well, I probably don't talk about it all that much with many people. I think one of the things is it's really hard to talk to people about if you're choosing organic and doing all of this um, when they're not without making them feel like you're judging them because I don't like this is my choice I'm not saying that it's right for everyone or that everyone has to do it but I find it really hard to talk with people who don't do that and help make them understand I'll I'll tell you a story we went to the coast for Easter and stayed with my mum sent her a shopping list and she said she was in Coles getting <laughs> looking for all the organic things that I had requested and she ran into another she said another lady looked about her age and she said looking on the list looking at the shelves and said to her oh are you right can I help you with something she's oh, just looking at this oh and the lady had nappies and something else baby related in the pram, in the trolley and the woman said oh my god it's just everything's just organic and my mum said she laughed and they had a bit of a laugh about both their daughters sending them lists with all this organic stuff and you know, there's no organic around when we were growing up. It was just food. And I think that's sort of a hard thing as well, that you're seen as being like difficult a little bit when you're asking for organic things and you know, even asking at the butcher, oh, is this free range, is this grass-fed, you still feel... I know I shouldn't, but I feel a bit like I'm being difficult. Mm. Yeah. Or it's just it's that it's alternative when, in fact, just having food that's free from crap is actually should be our norm. Exactly. And that's what's so hard to deal with, I guess. I was talking to somebody once, the owner of a cafe, and he said, he wishes that it was food, like spray-free, all of that, and then the other food was labelled, sprayed with this mm. chemical, sprayed with this chemical, and what a difference that would make in people's minds rather than having organic and regular. Huge difference. Uh, yeah, because that's the reality is that this is like how it should be and this is. This is altered. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. People always ask me, how much do you have that's organic? You know, like as though there's, because, and, you know, we got home from um, from holidays yesterday at about 5.30, the plane landed, and I have no fruit or veggies or anything. And so I raced up to Coles and just grabbed what I could. <laughs> Because I'll get to the markets on the weekend, but I also I just don't let it panic me. I think and and I think people have this idea that we're like a totally organic, um, you know, everything from scratch. I had no baking done. I had nothing. Like yeah, I was absolutely not prepared. Yeah, I could have smashed a banana cake out and put it in the freezer before I left, but I was just thinking about getting on that plane and going to see my family. So I'm buying these little, uh, from the baby section, these little um, gingerbread men. I'm throwing them in their lunch boxes today. Like as though, you know, it's not, It's I I don't live it. I I certainly don't live a 100% organic um, life. And I think for me, a lot of the time, it's about making a choice between how stressed out I get about this stuff 
and how that stress is impacting my health and then is transferred onto my family. Because what I've realized is when kids go to school, there is a lack of control that comes in big time and Mm. all the amazing work that you've done up until that point with your kids. It is like my kid is asking me for Oreos in his lunch. He's never had one in his life, but they look so amazing. And you you have to let go. And so I just guess I wanted to ask you before I ask the small step that you've got for everybody, how have you coped with that? Because you you mentioned before that it kind of led to a little bit of anxiety around food. Mm-hmm. How have you, um, you know, when, once we know what we know, then we have to live in the real world. So how do you balance all that out? How have you decreased the stress around food? Yeah. Yeah, I did panic a lot about it to start with. Like it was okay for the first sort of year, 18 months, but once they started, once my oldest started getting to the stage where they're having birthday parties and cakes and seeing what all the other kids are eating, I think it was just about second birthday parties, I would just yeah, freak out at all the food and I'd be trying to keep him away from it. And we had one thing. It was early last year where he went a little bit crazy on cupcakes and he was not well. His little tummy just couldn't handle it. Um, and I think I think I was doing small steps for the first time that at the time and I went on and wrote in their Facebook group, I don't know what to do, how do I stop him doing this? And everyone, nearly everyone just commented and said, just got to let it happen and let him learn himself. Um, try and fill him up before you go and just don't stress about it because you're stressing about it puts more pre- like makes it a stressful situation for him as well which I don't want him to have any kind of stress around food or you know, anything like that so I've just tried to accept it that I have to know when I'm giving them food it's the best I possibly can and that they're going to eat other stuff. They go to daycare now and um, they supply food there. And it's good. They have a, a chef there, but it's not all food that I would possibly serve. So I've just had to learn to let it go, which, yeah, it was difficult and still is difficult, but I'm so much better at it than I was. So I guess the main thing is just knowing that what you do is makes up the bulk of it, the 80-20 rule. Yeah. That makes up the bulk of it and whatever else happens, it happens. And I also think that there's there's times where they, they'll be older and it's easier to talk to them about it. You know, find toddlers yeah. aren't, aren't rational creatures. And, no. um, and, you know, my son, he's just, he will still at six, you know, just go to the birthday parties and just eat all the things. And yeah. whereas my daughter will be like, hmm. It's not making me feel very good. Okay. And what we talk about now is checking in with our tummies. Our tummies usually know when we've had enough. So we need to check in with our tummies. And if we're at birthday parties, we're like, "Mm, is my tummy feeling good or is it feeling like it's had enough? And which is – and at a birthday party just recently, my son (laughs) gave me the rest of his cake and he said, Mum, I think – my tummy's saying it's had enough. And all he'd really done is eat all of the icing all the way around and <laughs> left the cake. Yep, pizza. that'll do it. And then, well, he did it when we were down in Melbourne. Um, my mum had just made her fried rice. And they're like, oh, yeah. 
Oh, my tummy's saying I'm full. My tummy's saying it's had enough. And uh, uh, <laughs> finish your dinner. This is not, <laughs> now they're just, how can I use this to kind of leave the table and go and keep playing Lego or something? Yeah. But uh, it's just, it's really interesting when you can talk to them in a different way because they're getting older. And yeah. and I think that uh, their journey through food, the fact that they're growing up in a time where the, their birthday parties that they attend, it, they're real and that's that's their version of, of party food and I can't control that. And they need to learn the lessons for their yeah. life. And that's how I feel. And I know that there's a lot of other people who disagree and who might take food for their children and all that sort of stuff. But I just feel, I just have this feeling like the more we ban things, the more we say no, the more that they want it. And I was doing a big clear out of our um, toy room just before we left in the, in the school holidays. And I found these random wrappers of lollipops <laughs> and things in the behind, like, the the uh, cupboard where all the toys are. So it's obviously stealing stuff cause, and, and just going and eating it and just hiding the evidence. Yeah. And I think that's – I don't want that for our family. And, yeah, so it's just this constant work in progress I am finding raising yeah. kids in a way where they understand, they know what healthy is. Yeah. And I am learning about what healthy means for me and, and that is also just taking care of myself and letting stuff go through to the keeper. Yes, exactly. Sometimes we can not, no, I was about to say sometimes we can know too much. I don't think so. I think sometimes we can hold ourselves hostage. Yeah, the information. That's very true. So to finish up, um, just because I went off on a big tangent <laughs> or 20, uh, what would you say is your is the small step that you would share with other people? All right. I would probably say um, starting with a meal or an ingredient that you have regularly in your house, like, um, okay, I don't know about everyone else, but we have burritos a lot in our house. And it used to be, you know, your old old paso box, you get your you get seasoning, sauce and tortillas. Um and if you look at the back of all those packets, there are a lot of numbers and a lot of ingredients and uh not great things. So I would say having a look and seeing if you can how you can improve on that so the seasoning it's really 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 easy to make burrito or taco seasoning it's literally like five herbs and spices you've probably got them in the pantry already um you can make up a big batch of it and store it in the cupboard you can just add them at the time um so that's one little thing that would make if you have burritos every two weeks that's a small step um and then the meat you use what sort of meat do you buy can you upgrade the meat I know you're big on upgrading meat (laughs) um and then the tortillas can you buy a better brand that doesn't have so many ingredients in it or can you make them I make my own tortillas and it's actually really easy I did I did this Facebook post 
uh, last year. Went to serve dinner. It was like eight o'clock. Um, burritos. So I'm, I've normally got tortillas in the freezer because I make them and went to get them out and there were none there. And I went into panic mode. Oh my God. And my husband just said, I'll just go and get some. Our local IGO closes at nine. I'm like, oh, they're going to be awful. They're going to have all the nasty things in there. I'm like, all right. He said, just, it's eight o'clock. Let's just eat dinner. So he went and got them. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to see if I can make tortillas in the time it takes him to go and buy them and come back. And this shop is literally like, oh, a few blocks from our house, so maybe five-minute drive. And I managed to make 10 of the 12 tortillas in the time it took him to get to the supermarket and back. And then I compared the ingredients. This post went crazy. The ingredients on the back of the tortilla packet and then the ingredients in my recipe which is like flour water baking powder and salt um and it was just amazing people were just amazed at the difference between making it from scratch and buying it and yeah so it's not really that hard to do it just seems hard I think one thing we've sort of got in our heads is that if you can buy it in a packet or um like a pasta sauce or a seasoning mix if you can buy it pre-made then it must be difficult to make from scratch whereas really a lot of the time the opposite's true they're just so easy to make you just gotta start making them I know you and you just need to start somewhere I really like that that idea of um of choosing something that's on high rotation that you could make a really big impact with yeah, I really like that. And it might even, it might be something with dinner, you know, and I would also say, you know, find something that um, won't shock the family. Like, Yeah, exactly. They'll still taste the same. but And it's yeah. really hard to go from something like Nutri-Grain to homemade yeah. granola or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. Do it in, a little bit too extreme. Do it in stages so that people people don't freak out. Mm. Um, yeah, because I think that's one big misperce- misperception. Is that a word? <laughs> um, but that, yeah, the healthy versions of things are not nice, whereas the healthy versions of things can taste exactly the same as the packet version. It's just got much better ingredients. It's much better for you. Yeah, um, oh, I totally agree. My My simple, rich bolognese, Better than any sauce I've ever tried. Yeah. Because I made it exactly how I wanted. Yeah. And exactly. it just means it's literally like, you know, all I have to have on hand. I don't have, I just have to have pantry staples on hand all the time and I can mix them in a way that works. So, you know, tins of tomatoes and passata. Yeah. And then I know I've always got the other things that I need to add in there to just make it outrageously delicious. Mm. Um, thank you, Claire for sharing your story. I think it's a lovely one and I think people, um, so many people, so many people, like I've got so many friends who struggle with fertility, um, friends, family, everyone around and everyone has their own journey through it. None is right or wrong and um, I just, I love that yours was one step after the other after the other and you have come such a long way from the girl mm-hmm. who ate cabbage and chicken 
potato and apple and carrot, <laughs> that food can be enjoyable and that food basically healed your body and yeah. got you pregnant. It's amazing. And the second time it took no time at all. Didn't really have to think about it. <laughs> and also that, that, that the struggle that you guys had as a couple and your um, fertility issues has actually been such a blessing because now mm-hmm. look at what you know and how, how you're bringing up those boys as compared to if you'd fallen pregnant straight away. Exactly. Well, I'm so glad you're a small stepper. And if But if people want to follow you, where can they go and do that? Let's give a plug for your stuff. Oh, thank you, awesome. Lisa. Well, my website is clairekcreations.com. Yeah. And I'm um, Claire K Creations on Facebook and Instagram as well. We will put links to that underneath the show notes so that people can click and, and start to follow you. And, you know, you Thank keep you. it real too. There's a lot of realness in your videos. I'm very real, yes. <laughs> Probably too real sometimes. But, oh. yeah. I don't think we can be too real. No, true. Everyone else is dealing with the same stuff. Exactly, yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today, Claire. No, thank you. Very much appreciate your time. For more inspiration, interviews and know-how, head to smallstepsliving.com. Small Steps Living, inspiring your best life, one small step at a time.